Howdy. Howdy. So um, some years ago, I was uh, at the seminary, and there there was a class we were taking, and we had a project we had to complete. And this project was on the history of your home congregation. So basically, each one of us was supposed to write up a short history of whatever home congregation we had, and just be able to make sure that we've chronicled all the major events. Now, I had become Lutheran in college, and so my congregation was therefore college ministry. Well, a lot of it was difficult to find out, especially the really early days, more like the 60s and, 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 and early 70s. But then I was trying to figure out, is there anyone that was around at that time at A&M that could actually help me out with this project? And then my confirming pastor reminded me, you do realize that President Kishnick was at A&M during that period of time, the, the president of the church denomination. And I'm thinking to myself, why not? Why not at least reach out? I'll see, maybe, you know, it, it's worth at least to try. Oh, he gave me a whole bunch of information that I did not have otherwise. And so it was like all this info about what was happening uh, leading up to the chapel being started and what it was that, that it meant to them who were there at the time and everything. And so, you know, there I have my report and everything, and every once in a while I would make sure I had a quotation on there. Said Reverend Dr. Gerald Kieschnick, president of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, <laughs> And no, I did not abbreviate later on. I kept making sure I wrote the whole thing out. And, and uh, d d truth be told, I did get an A. Yes. Um, although, what was interesting, though, is that as much as I felt really, really important and really, really proud at that moment in time, the next election, he was no longer president of the Synod. And that's one of the things that I want to point out a little bit today is the idea, the distinction between power and authority. The idea that our authority and what we say and what we do is not based on clinging to or grasping for power. Our Isaiah passage presents God as being the God who is above all gods. So one of the things that we've looked at a little bit in the history is that chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah are written at a time whenever the northern part of Israel, they were being pulled off into exile by Assyria. But at the end, Assyria, they're starting to crumble because Assyria is being dominated by Babylon. And what we know about Babylon is that they would end up coming and taking the southern part into exile later down the line. See, our passage, chapter 40, is at the beginning of Isaiah being able to look to the future and see what is to happen as Judah is dealing with its own exile. Whenever you can see the writing on the wall, not just because you can kind of see what history is going to repeat itself, but also because God is making something clear to you. But what would it be at that time when the people of Judah are in a land that is not their own, and they wonder if God has forgotten them, if God has abandoned them. And here it is that Isaiah is making sure that the people know 
that they will not be forgotten, that God is still loving them and caring for them, that it says in here, he who brings out their host by number, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And, and here's the piece with this, is that it's not that God just has power, but rather that his power is what God is going to use to strengthen his people. And that's important because the way that God shows us of what his authority is for is meant to show us what we use authority for. Now, of course, you have to always pause and remember who your initial, your first authority was growing up, your parents. And my parents, they live in, in Houston. They live up on the north side. And, of course, being you know a, a, a young-ish adult, um, I get caught up in life and sometimes forget that I should drive the hour over to see them and say hello. But whenever I do go over there, does my mom sit there and say, all right, my liege, now come and take care of all of the things because I gave you birth. And let me tell you about how terrible it was. Now take care of all of my needs. No, my mother makes sure that she spends the time making sure that everything's ready and everything's nice. Is there something that you want to eat? Is there something that you want to drink? We do have some of the sodas in the fridge. Oh, we're going to have tacos today. Did you want an avocado? I think I have an avocado. And I'm just like, it's great. Everything's good. You don't know. Nothing else is needed. Do we need to go to the store to get something? Everything is great. And it always struck me that there's my mother trying to go out of her way to take care of me at the age of 43. And yet, that's so much of what it is that we see about how authority is used by Jesus as well. So last week we talked about how Jesus had gone and had healed this man on the Sabbath that was right there in front of him, and that people are like, whoa, what kind of authority does he have? He can command those demons to leave. And what does he go to do? He goes and he's, uh, he's spending one of the Sabbath meals over at uh, Peter and Andrew's uh, home, their family, with, with James and John. And the mother of Peter's wife has a fever. Now you've got to keep in mind that people back then, they saw illnesses in many ways as something outside of their control. That, that only God truly had authority to be over illnesses, as well as demons. And so there is Jesus going up and healing Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, which back then, you didn't necessarily know what was causing it, so you didn't necessarily know how you're supposed to deal with it, or even necessarily if it would be fatal. And what does Peter's mother-in-law end up doing? The first thing is she gets up to serve them the meal. A far cry from go make me a sandwich, for sure. But with that mentality, 
is that isn't that also where we're supposed to be? Is that when we have the opportunity, do we see it as an opportunity to serve? You see, we end up seeing that in this passage, after sunset, all these people start coming to Jesus with those who need healing. Why after sunset? Remember, it was the Sabbath. People couldn't be carrying others to Jesus before sundown, when the Sabbath was over. You see, Jesus had the authority to say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I can heal because I've decided to. The people that were there, they were not the ones who were in authority. But they brought the people who were in need to the one who was in authority. Which, by the way, if you'll notice, the disciples later on, whenever they went forth in authority, it was after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus when he sent, then sent his spirit to them. But you see, the demons that are coming out of these people, they start going on and on about the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of God. And Jesus keeps telling them to shush it. Apparently, in the original uh, language, it's saying to muzzle it. Yeah, like this is literally saying shut up. And with that is because Jesus is not there to try to prove a point over these demons or to try to you know, put his foot on their neck and make sure that they let everybody know how powerful he is. He's like, no, I'm getting rid of you because this person needs healing. I don't need you to start making everybody see something I'm not ready for them to see yet. Because what does he end up emphasizing? I need to go out and I need to preach the good word and I need to help those who are in need. They need to be healed inside and they need to be healed outside. This was not Jesus trying to say, I'm not here to try to make this focus on my power, but instead of what I've come here to do. Because his glory was not meant to be revealed fully until his resurrection. And next week with the transfiguration, we're going to need this to help us set the context. But you see, that's the thing about authority. See, power is not the goal. Power is the tool. And power is not authority. Authority comes from who we are. Authority of Jesus comes from who he is, not by whether he was able to enforce it by his power. I oftentimes uh, joke that uh, back... 12, 13 years ago when I was serving as pastor and I, and, I, and I said, if I didn't have on this alb or have the title before my name, would you listen to me? And two months later, I wasn't the pastor there. And realizing that in many ways is that the authority that we speak with doesn't come from the power, but rather from who it is that has sent us with his authority. And that's the thing about Jesus, is that he ends up not going over there and glorying in what he's just done. The disciples are like, where'd you go? But instead, what does he do? He goes back to his father. Because he's going to be rejuvenated to continue serving others. Because that's what he came to do.
See, that's the thing about this is that instead of spending the time trying to emphasize how powerful he is to everybody else, no, he does the work and then he steps away to go back to the Father and say, God, be glorified and let me do the work that you've sent me to do. See, are we pursuing power because we think it's going to give us authority? Or are we serving because of the authority that has been sent to us? That's oftentimes where we find ourselves, the struggles that we go through. The, the ways in which we put our focus and our time and our attention, our energy, on what is going to get us our sense of feeling powerful. Isn't that what it is that we keep hearing from the next generation over and over again? I need to have my power. I need to express my power. I need to feel powerful. And then as soon as someone doesn't get what it is that they wanted, their identity is lost. Because as soon as something has caused them not to feel powerful, then who do they think that they are anymore? But isn't that also where we've oftentimes found ourselves? The times whenever there was something that made us feel safe and secure and strong and then all of a sudden it was gone and it might have been the job that we were doing or it might have been how much savings was in the account or it might have been knowing that you know, how much people thought of us and then all of a sudden something shakes someplace there and we've lost who we think that we are. Because somehow we thought that feeling powerful was the point. But it was always just a tool to accomplish what God had given us to do. And even at the times when we are not feeling powerful is that God has still called us to be His children. Because our authority, our worth, and who we are comes because it's been given to us by God. And that's the same thing for all of you today. See, I have these thoughts, these ideas that I want you all to have in your mind. This week, as we're going into uh, the, the Lent season starting on Valentine's Day, which I think is a beautiful thing, consider where God has placed you with what skills, passions, and resources, and ask, how are you serving others? When other people see us and what we represent as the church, are they seeing people who are trying to make sure that no one can take their power away from them? Or are they seeing a body of people who keep looking for ways to serve? When they see us, do they see us holding on to power because we want to make sure everyone can see it? Or do they see us using whatever power that we do have to serve God in his kingdom. Because that's the thing. We all have different goals that we're pursuing in different ways. Different things that we say are important, different things that once we've accomplished them, then we feel that we've arrived. And then if somehow we haven't accomplished something, then we struggle with this sense of who am I. But you see, who we are that authority that we have in God does not come from that. It comes from who God has declared us to be and who God has sent 
his son to make us. So as we go into this time, let us spend less time thinking, how can I get done the goals that make me feel strong? And instead ask, God, how can I take the strength you've given me to serve your kingdom and to serve the people who are around me? Thanks be to God.